You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. All right, you want to clap for Cassie? Go ahead, yeah, clap for Cassie. Let's go. Uh, hey, uh, first off, what's up? Good morning. Is everybody doing all right? You, per- you, you persevering? The heat a little oppressive? Are you persevering through the oppressive heat at the moment? I appreciate you, fam. I appreciate y'all being here. I appreciate the fact that when you walked into this cafeteria, you ain't just turn around and walk back out the other direction. All right? I appreciate that, especially this morning. Uh, so, hey, uh, I think most people in here know, but for us in here and for maybe those watching uh, online later, my name is Josh. I serve as the lead pastor here uh, at Refuge. And I got to say, last week, uh, Sean preached, and I wasn't even gone. I was sitting, like, right there or over there somewhere here. And just, just being away from, like, speaking to you like this, I can, can sincerely say, like, I missed you in a weird way. Like, I didn't get to, like, see your faces and, like, speak to you and, like, that sense of like, like emotion that is invoked when I see your face and I say something and I think to myself like, man, I hope that connected with them or whatever the case is. Like, I missed you. And so I'm happy to be back with you in this capacity, even though I saw you last week still. Uh, and so, yeah, I can genuinely say I'm glad to be with you like this again today. And so uh, what we're going to do right now is we're going to continue our time in worship today by jumping into the scriptures. And you hear me say this every week, but I want to make sure to reiterate it because this is important. And it needs to be reminded to us every time we approach this time, uh, which is that we're not coming to this moment continuing in worship with a sermon just to learn something new about God. We're not coming to these words, opening the Bible, exploring these words so that we can gain some new information. But we're, we're doing this sincerely because we believe that in this cafeteria, even with a smaller group this morning, right, all that good stuff combined, we still come to these words and God honors his promise in these words that he'll meet us here as we open and engage these words. That we actually connect with the living and mighty God as we open these words and start to draw from them. And with that, we don't just seek to be informed about who God is in the next half hour or so, but we seek to actually be transformed by the presence of God as we work through these words together. And so over the course of these next few minutes, you hear me say this all the time, but I'm going to keep encouraging you in this until the day that I'm no longer taking this spot or whatever the case is. Uh, Man, invest in this time. Be invested in this time. Don't lean back and check out right now. In fact, lean further in. Pay attention. If you got a notebook and you, you're a handwritten person, do the handwritten thing. If you're t- taking notes down in, in your phone, take notes down in your phone. But, but allow this time uh, to build expectation and you know that we're going to connect with the living God. And so today, as I mentioned, we're jumping into our time in Scripture. That's how we're continuing our time in worship. And, and we're doing that by continuing our current sermon series, which we started last week, entitled Rhythms. All right? There's a little, yeah, see, there you go. Your little graphic up there. And what we're focusing on are three rhythms that we hold dear here as a church. That is work, growth, and rest. In fact, we hold these three rhythms so dear that we've implemented them really into the the rhythms or seasons that we work in here as a church. Let me explain. You see, during the fall, right, when when fall, when I say fall, what do y'all think? Month-wise. I don't know why I asked that, because with these fans raging, I can't hear nothing y'all are saying, all right? But I think I heard someone vaguely say September. Yeah, right. So fall through about 
like Christmas time. Here at Refuge, during that season, we're really focused on the idea of work, the rhythm of work. You'll oftentimes see us start to really press and say, hey, we have a lot of outreach events coming up, a lot of things that we want to do to engage the community, to invite the community in. And you're even going to get one of them magnets like we had last fall with a bunch of events already detailed out. And we're going to give that to you. We want you to put that magnet on the fridge so that you can really like plan around some of them things and be like, yo, I want to go on a fall vacation. That's beautiful. I want to go on this day, but this is also the day the church is doing this. And we're going to be like, got to change that vacation plan. So like, right, so we kind of want to encourage us. So we're going to work really hard in that season of fall. But then we go into the spring. And in spring, we're going to start implementing things more focused on growth and spiritual growth. And so you'll see more classes and you'll see more foundation type of things. You'll, you'll engage in more Bible study. And we'll really focus on, hey, how do we cultivate maybe growth that came from work, but also cultivate your spiritual life in a way that you can feel and that you can really give yourself to during the spring. And then in summer, the season that we're in right now, we'll emphasize the idea of rest, right? Knowing that, hey, no one, even the good Lord was like, hey, I'm going to work six days. I'm going to rest on the seventh day, and it's good. And also, as you're going to hear about next week, rest teaches us things that work and growth simply can't. Now, we also know, again, that, that rest isn't an end to itself, but rather we rest knowing that when we get back into fall that we're going to go back into a season of, oh, that was really, I'm going to give you another chance at that because I'm not sure, I'm not, I, I wasn't feeling that feedback right now, that after we get through with the season of rest in summer, we're going to get back to fall into a season of there you go. See, and if you, if you can already kind of sense it, there's like a shepherding kind of rhythm to that. We recognize that all these are important, but, but the best way for us as a church leading a corporate body uh, that has different people in different seasons is to lead us corporately to, to certain moments where we emphasize certain rhythms and then kind of take us to the next season where we emphasize another rhythm, the next season where we emphasize another rhythm, and then kind of start that cycle over. That way we as shepherds can ensure we're guiding you to each one of these places, right, during the course of your year. But that doesn't mean that that's when, that's, that's kind of the exclusive time you're focused on these rhythms. Because in reality, each one of us works these rhythms out every day, every week of our lives, right? After every single day of work, I hope you went to your job and I hope you busted rump and I hope that you come home and you're a little tired, your mind's a little tired, and I hope you hit the pillow and I hope you actually find good rest that day. I'd be, I'd be horrified if I saw you during the, the, the season of fall and you were like, I ain't slept in like eight days. I'd be like, bro, you need to sleep, bro. Like, what, what are you doing? So, so we engage with this idea of work and rest and growth all during our week. And this sermon series is focused on bringing these rhythms that we hold dear and, and really implementing them into our daily lives and giving you uh, kind of like an introductory run through so that you can be equipped to start living them out better in your own life. And so last week, Sean got us started talking about work, uh, really pointing us to the idea that our work is an invitation to partner with God's work. And whether that's in your home, whether that's at your job, whether that is in your family, whether that's in your community, no matter where it is, that in work, wherever you do it, is an invitation to participate in God's work, what He wants to do in your office, in your home, in your community, wherever your work takes place. And this week, what we're doing is we're jumping into the subject of growth, specifically spiritual growth. And the idea that I want you to walk away from today is this, that spiritual growth takes place in the beautiful tension of commitment to community and personal devotion. That there is a tension in a commitment to community and your own personal devotion, and spiritual growth takes place right in that tension. 
We're going to be looking at, as uh, Cassie read, 1 Thessalonians 5, and I really think that this builds out that tension really well, okay? And specifically, coming out of that, we're going to look at two specific points in that text. The first is spiritual growth and community, right? There's spiritual growth that happens, and it happens in the context of a commitment to community, but also spiritual growth personally. Spiritual growth happens, and it happens in our personal devotion time, time we're spending with the Lord, things that we're dedicating ourselves to. And so today, my hope is that we see how deeply connected these are, and when we get launched out from here in this, even in this Sunday, we would go out thinking, like, how can I walk out this tension well? Right? And so let's go ahead and get started uh, with our first point, which is spiritual growth and community. We're just going to read the first two verses here, so verse 14 and 15, and then we're going to proceed forward. And so verses 14 and 15, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, 15 reads like this. Uh, And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Okay. And so what does this tell us about spiritual growth in community. Well, as we begin exploring our text, we got to put the right frame around it, right? It's a dangerous practice when we go to any part of the Bible, yank out a verse or two, and kind of just be like, yo, this is what this joint means to me, right? It's a dangerous practice because at that point, you can make anything mean anything. And we start to potentially divorce what God wanted us to know through those words for what we hope was in those words uh, in our own mind and heart. And so we want to make sure we put this verse in context. And this text uh, really comes from, or not really, but this text comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now, any of you guys know, but 1 Thessalonians was a letter written from Paul to a church in a city called Thessalonica. It's an are really the modern day or the ancient version of the modern city Thessaloniki. I don't know how geeky you are with geography, but if that's your thing, there you go. Uh, now, it's really, really, really a cool book because uh, if you read Paul's other letters, you'll notice that this is kind of one of the most positive ones that Paul really has. It starts out with a traditional greeting and the introductions that always happen in most letters during this time, but, but with a more positive flair and a little bit more encouragement. Paul then, after that the kind of introduction and greeting, goes into a section where there's like this deep affection in the letter, right? He tells them how much he wants to visit them and how much he misses them and that he knows they have faced persecution, but he's encouraged by who they are and how they receive the gospel. And he lets them know, I want to comfort you. I will do everything I can to comfort you. And he lets them know really how deeply he cares. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, he he lets them know, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was wrestling with these feelings of love for you that I really felt it's worth sending someone from the small group of travel companions that I have. It's worth sending one of those travel companions to go check on you. And so in in the first two verses of chapter 3, he says, I... I just, just couldn't stand anymore. I sent, I sent Timothy to go check on you. In fact, let, let's just read that together, right? 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 2 says this. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith. And when Timothy returns, he brings back this awesome news, right? He's like, man, they have held the faith. They have 
persevered. They love one another. Paul's overjoyed. He's like, man, I knew y'all were a model for all of that region of the world. He even describes how the news of who they are brought an encouragement to him and his travel companions in the midst of their own hardship. And then from there, he goes on to finish up a four and the major part of chapter five, uh, kind of giving them uh, some, some theological stuff they miss. And that finally brings us to the section, te- a, a text that we uh, have come to now. And you may be thinking, why all the backstory? It was a little bit, little bit excessive on the backstory here, friend. And, and it's because when we arrive at our section, we find several commands from Paul that if we stop and pause and work through them for a minute, sh- should, should elucidate, should, should bring about some, some form of like, huh? Because he tells them, warn those that are idle. You hear this and, and you should be thinking to yourself, warn those that are lazy. The ones in the church that don't want to work, they don't want to make a living, warn them of the, the pain that comes when they disobey God's command for cultivation and the pain that comes in the world when, when you just are lazy and hard times fall on you. He then says, he tells them, comfort the discouraged. Those that are discouraged about difficult seasons in life, as I mentioned, this was a church that was probably undergoing some persecution. Maybe they were in some hard circumstances outside of the persecution. Maybe they were going through other things in life. And and to be honest, they were discouraged. And Paul tells them, comfort the discouraged. And then he goes on to say, and help the weak, those who may be uh, hurting those who may be actually physically weak and can't provide, help them, but, but also those that are spiritually weak and resting and struggling with their faith. And then he tells them, be patient with everyone. And lastly, he says, watch out uh, for the fellow church members that, that, are, that are itching to pay evil with evil when evil is done to them. And now maybe you're like, that all sounds good, but I still don't understand the connection with the, with the history lesson here. And and here's why. Here's why the history lesson here. Our section of text in this beautiful letter filled with pride and gratitude for the readers and the church in Thessalonica reminds us that the model example church is the church that's filled with lazy, discouraged, weak, vengeful, broken people. The example church that Paul says your love for one another has has spread across the region because you take it wherever you go. You are a model for all of Macedon from the region that you are in. It's filled with broken, hurting, lost people. Let me ask you a question, friend. Is that what you think of when you think of the model church? When you think of the model church, right, we're just like, yo, that church is amazing. Do you think of a church filled with these type of of people? Do you think of people walking around that are lazy and need to be warned? Do you think of people uh, that are discouraged and need to be comforted? Do you think of people uh, that are weak and need help? Do you think of people that are vengeful and need to be reined in and, and just, just calmed down? Is that your vision of the model church? Because let me tell you, friend, that was Paul's vision of the model church. Why? Why? Because the model church invites the lost, the broken, the hurting, the angry to taste and see of the one that actually makes them whole. To taste and see of the one who perfectly glorified God in his work, yet took on the punishment of the lazy person so that lazy people could be given hope 
and purpose, to taste and see of the one who had every reason to be hopeful yet took on the discouragement of humanity on the cross so that the discouraged could have hope. Taste and see of the one who was strong yet made himself weak so that the weak could be given strength. To taste and see of the only one who always repaid evil with good yet took on evil so that those who repay evil with evil could now be only cared for with good. He he invites them to taste and see of the one who was whole yet became broken so broken people could find wholeness. Friend, let me tell you this real quick. And I want to be very, I want you to look at me with this. I want you to look at me. If if you're note taking, pause and take a mental note on this bad boy, right? Are you lost today? Right? Do you find yourself lacking purpose? Do you wonder where life is leading you? Do you have questions about the future and where you should go? You're in the right place. Are you discouraged today, right? Do you feel beat up by life and your heart is heavy and you're struggling to get up the next day and the next day because you feel like it's monotonous and your heart just feels wary? You're in the right place. Are you weak today? Do you struggle with faith and at times not believe that God is the person that he says he is, that he will not work out good in your life out of the abundance of love that he has for you? You're in the right place place? Are you angry today? And when people do you wrong, as it will happen in a broken world, do you look at them and think, oh boy, if I wish I had my way. And all of a sudden you find yourself sneaking into things like gossip or maybe just going straight into an argument and wrestling afterwards with the shame of knowing, man, I wish I didn't do that, but I know I did. Friend, you're in the right place. The model church is not the church that, that is filled with perfect people. For Paul, the model church is the church that's filled with broken people that are being led to the feet of the perfect one. That's the church that he sees in Thessalonica, and that's the one he praises and and is proud of and gloats of. Friend, our spiritual growth has to, in part, take place in community because it's in community that we are brought to the feet of Jesus. It's in community that we are led by the hand to the feet of Jesus. It's in community that we experience his love through the people of God that aren't perfect, right? They're going to make mistakes. And, and the thing is, some of us in here have been hurt by those mistakes, right? You've been hurt by those mistakes. You feel the weight. And, and maybe there are times you walk into churches and you get to know new people and you're like, man, I'm uncomfortable because of the past things that have happened when people try to follow a text like this, but their own sinful side got in the way. And then they began to hurt me or they said something that was, was offensive, or maybe they said something that was wrong. And now I'm, I'm a little guarded. And so man, new churches, new church experiences tend to make me a little bit nervous. Keep pressing in. Despite that, this place is for you. Right? Despite that, the church was built for you. Friend, don't surrender the house built for you because of the mistakes of some neighbors. I want you to hear me. Don't surrender the house that was built for you, for you, because of the mistakes and actions of some neighbors. Don't do it. Keep pressing in. And that's part of the reason we started this church in this area, right? This, this whole narrative that you see Paul working out of is, is a part of the reason we started this church in this area, because we wanted this to be a refuge for brokenness, for people that were hurting, 
Right? We serve a community in Southeast Austin that wrestles with several social issues. You have issues like drug addiction. You have issues like fatherlessness. You have issues like alcoholism. You have issues that bear down on the hearts and lives of people. And they may fit into the vengeful category, the lazy category, the discouraged category, the weak category. Well, man, we want to be a place that says your home is here to meet the one who makes you home. And that means that you're a part of that. It means that you're a part of that. You're sitting in this school and it's hot and, and we set up and, and you're sitting in this weird blue chair. I know that blue chair is not that comfortable, but, but you right there sitting in that blue chair, right, you play a role in bringing those things to those people. That your work, your labor, your giving into this place, as, as humble as it seems, goes into the work of something that goes beyond the humbleness of blue chairs and, a, and an elementary school, but into the hands of a God who has taken on the hurt and pain and sin of the world to say, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. That's what your part is. Even sitting in this blue chair, even serving in this young church plant, your role right there is to say, God, let me do that. Let me do that, let me be attentive. Let me be, let me be noticed, let me, let me notice what's happening um, in this church, friends, because we're, we're the ones that are called to actually facilitate the growth that Paul is talking about here, right? We're called to facilitate this growth. We don't just come to receive growth, hear me. We come, again, to facilitate, to give, fueled by the grace and love of God that we've received and that we've tasted of. Now we are sent into the community of faith. We're sent into the, the community around us to be the warning sound for the lazy, to be the comforter for the discouraged, to be the help for the weak, to be the protector and guard of those that are tempted to do evil. And we don't stop for anything. Right, you, you really know something super interesting here. Now, I love this little tidbit because this is the type of a little detail that starts to unravel a text and make you think like, man, that's, that's a calling right there. That's not, that's not a bit of advice. That's a calling, right? Because in verse 15, real simple verse, he says, and be, at the end of it, he says, be patient with everyone. And it feels a bit like a catch-all, and that's because it is, right? Because the rest of the commands given, right, to, to warn, um, to comfort to help, right? They're all in what we would call a present active tense, meaning they don't have no end, right? You warn until someone isn't lazy anymore or until there aren't any lazy people. You comfort until someone isn't discouraged or there are no more discouraged people. You help until someone isn't weak or there are no more weak people. And that's gonna require patience. It's gonna require patience and, and resting in God to look and constantly say, hey, it seems like everybody's doing really well. We need to go find some broken people to bring to the feet of the one who makes them whole. And we gotta keep going because this is our call. Warn the lazy, right? Uh, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, right? Don't, don't repay evil for good, but rather do what's right for one another and for all. That word all in Greek means all, right? It doesn't mean anything that you ain't reading there. Everyone. And right now, maybe I'm laying this out for you and you're thinking, man, how do I even do that? That sounds like mad hard. And verse 15 is for you. Um, it, say, it says, see to it. And in, 
in the original language, that wording means to pay vigilant attention around you. Pay vigilant attention. Right, that see to it phrase, it literally means like, like be, a, be a hawk, be a watchtower in the community for those that are lazy, for those that are discouraged, for those that are weak, for those that have a desire to repay uh, evil with evil. Be a watchtower for those people. Be looking out for them. You have to be involved, friend. You have to actually be involved. You have to actually know what's going on in someone's life to know, is your smile real or is it fake? You have to know what's happening in, in maybe the backdrop of their life to say, hey, when I ask you, how are you doing? And you go, ah, I'm all right. Is that a real, like, I'm all right? Or is that like a, man, I, I wish you would say, but how are you really doing? Right? You have to be invested to be watchful. You have to be invested. You have to be watchful, one, to receive what you need. Right? That way, if you're the broken, if you're the lazy, if you're the, the discouraged, if you're the weak, you have to be invested so someone can look at you and be like, hey, man, are, are you actually okay? Hey, girl, you look, you look like you could, you could use a prayer. But you also want to be watchful and you want to be invested for the people that need that, that you're called to serve, that, that you're called to love, that you're called to bring the healing that God wants to bring in their lives so that you could be a conduit of that great power and that great joy. Um... This, this section right here really, really reminds me of, and I'm going to pull a total pastor move here, y'all, sorry, um, really reminds me of my daughter's gymnastics class this past week. We got her in like a little gymnastics class. Let me be honest. It ain't like she's doing professional. It ain't, there ain't no hard coaches in there riding her. It's just like, it's just the lady. She's doing a lot of fun stuff with them. They're getting some skills worked out, some coordination, and maybe one day she'll take the step to go into like a, like a hardcore gymnastics class, but I'm not the right dad for that because they'll be like, stop yelling at my girl like that. Um, anyway, we're in the class, and so a lot of you guys know it, it, that last week or a couple weeks ago, my, my daughter and my son and my wife were exposed to someone that had COVID. They did not get COVID, thank God, but, but because of that, uh, they, we had to move the class that she usually attends uh, to another day, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. I love the parents in the class that she usually attends because it's like it's like six moms, me, and another dad named Chinmai. And Chinmai is a lovely gen Indian gentleman that just always is like, he's just always giving me like, oh, that was good, man. That was cute. You know, like, and everyone is kind of together watching their kids. And we laugh at certain stuff. And then we like kind of joke about certain things. And then they do like this little individual dance part. And everybody will be like, woo, and X, Y, and Z. And, and it's really fun. But then we moved the class to another day. It was a Friday. I ain't going to say what time. But uh, it was a Friday, and, and we went, and I didn't know any of those parents because that's a completely different class. We just rescheduled it so that so Leah wouldn't miss a whole week. And so I went to that class, and I, I got her in there, and, and I'm the one that takes Leah to these classes because when, when Leah is hurt, she wants mommy, but when Leah is doing something hard, she wants daddy. She wants to feel that, that strong sense of someone behind her going, you can do it. Get up. Keep going. Right? And so I take her to class so she can just press forward. And, and through the whole class, like, it was some of her favorite stuff. It was like a lot of balance beam stuff. And so she would get on the balance beam and then she'd jump off. And the moment she would hit the ground, she would look up and look at me and like, oh, did you see that? And I'd give her like a hey, like thumbs up. And then she'd run to the next thing and she'd like put her feet up on something. And then she'd get down and, and then she would like try to get on this this like two bar thing that was a little bit challenging. And I was even looking at it thinking like, how are these kids gonna do that? I'm not, I'm not even sure my daughter can do that. And so she fell like two or three times and she looked at me and I was like, 
You know, I gave her that classic dad look like, come on, girl, come on, get up, get up on that thing. All right, and so she keeps pressing forward, she gets on it, and then she, she gets down, and of course she's like, you know, and I'm like, yeah, and she moves on to the next thing, and, and all that was happening, it was beautiful, but, but I stopped for a second, and I looked to my left, because I was standing in the far right corner of the room, and as I looked to my left, about 80% of the parents there were just on their phone while their kids were doing this. And every single one of these kids was doing what my daughter did. They would all do the balance beam, jump off and look up, hoping that mom or dad was going to be there to say that was amazing. All of them were looking at the two beams where they had to do this weird bear crawl thing. It seemed like it was 100 feet in the sky to them. And they were all getting met with a challenge there that they looked at their parents and, and were hoping for a, come on, you can do it. And some of them got it. But others, they would do it and look up and they would just see a head looking down at a phone. And I just wanted to scream at everybody and be like, man, look up. Like your kids are literally doing something that they want your attention and affirmation for. Be invested. Be here. These things ain't going to happen forever. They're going to be gone before you know it. And the need for affirmation is going to be sought somewhere else and you're going to be left in the dust. But friend, can I be honest? That's not far removed from how this, how church feels at times. That you can enter into a room like this, you can go to a community group, you can even go to lunch with someone, and repeatedly have subtle moments where you two are looking up and going, man, I, I kind of need help. Where you two are looking up and saying, man, I, I'm kind of proud of that. And depending on who you're with or what you're doing, the other person either looks at you and says, man, I want to help you or just lets the moment pass by. And friends, can I encourage you? Can I challenge you as a parent, as a family member, as a spouse, as a church member, right? Be the people that are invested. Be the people that are attentive. Be the people that notice the subtle look on a face that changes and makes you go, I will do anything to make sure you get over that hump. I will do anything to make sure that you feel proud to do what you just did. I will do anything to make you feel like the wind is at your back and you are encouraged and you're full of hope because we have a Savior that went to all extents for that same thing. Friend, be those people. That, that's what Paul is encouraging the church in Thessalonica to be. He doesn't see it as a model church because they're perfect. Right? He sees it as a model church because they're passionate. Because they're, they're compassionate. Because they're loving. And they are imperfect and they are broken. And some of them are lazy and some of them are weak. And some of them, you do something to them and they're ready to go off on you. But they're surrounded by people that look at them and say, man, I see you right now. And rather than let you run off that cliff, I'm going to gently take you and point you back to the feet of that Jesus. And we're going to keep going there together over and over again. Present active. I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to mess up. That's okay. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. And when I stumble, I need you to do the same. I need you to look at me, point my attention back to that Jesus and keep going. And you're going to stumble. I'm going to stumble. Man, you come back to me and keep going over and over again. And thus builds the rhythm of God's church that begins to look at each other and say, this is how you grow spiritually in community. This is what it looks like. Sometimes it's a little raw. Sometimes it's a little rough. Sometimes you make mistakes. And sometimes you got to show the worst part of yourself. But man, there's a grace that covers all that. 
and a people that are called, even though they make mistakes, a people that are called to live out that mercy and grace and compassion with one another over and over and over again until Jesus comes back and we ain't got to worry about it no more. You might be thinking to yourself, at this stage now, having finished up this first little section on spiritual growth and community, and if you're not feeling this, I encourage you to truly evaluate yourself on why you wouldn't be feeling this, because I would assume that the majority of us would look at everything I just said and be like, that sounds a little hard, <laughs> I ain't gonna lie to you. That sounds a little challenging. You're telling me to really like look at people to be observant, and when I come here and it's hot, I'm still supposed to be looking at all these people and being like, ah, they weren't raising their hands the way they usually do, or, or you know, they weren't at church, wasn't, wasn't, I got real country there, but they weren't at church, right, like, like two weeks in a row, where they I haven't seen them in a little bit, or, or man, I wonder how they're doing, they didn't seem themselves today, or whatever the case is, and, and to constantly have that on, and to be reaching out to people, and to start forming these deep relationships to care for one another, and to point them back to Jesus, and you might be like, man, fam, that sounds exhausting. I'm, I'm an introvert, and whatever all the Enneagrams and all the other, you know, tests say that, that point to introvert, you're like, yo, I'm that, insert your number, or your four letters, or your everything else. And you might be like, that sounds difficult for me. And friend, that's why there is a symbiotic relationship, a tension that has to be held with this personal growth side. Because you're right, it is hard. And I think Paul knows that it's hard. He knows that he's giving advice that's not easily uh, followed through with. Yet, in verse 16, he starts to turn this corner. He starts to turn this corner to start to begin to leave the idea of spiritual growth in community and come to the idea of spiritual growth personally. Uh, check out verse 16 through 22. It says, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. I, friend, I, I ran a little bit, little bit over on the, on the section before, so I don't quite have as much time to, to work through all of this as I would like to. If you want more info on it, hit me up. I'll send you my, my preparation notes from the week of. But uh, there are three things that I want to I try and concentrate here to, 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 for you to understand. The first is that I want you to notice that these commands, is, as Paul starts to turn the corner in verse 16, not talking about how we interact with others, but now rather talking about how we interact with God. He, he doesn't turn that corner and say, uh, read the Bible. Right? He says, rejoice. He doesn't say, go to church. He says, be thankful. Right? He, Paul knows, this is what I want you to get at here. Paul knows that we need personal spiritual growth to help with the community growth. It is extremely challenging to accomplish if we're not spiritually pursuing God on an individual and personal level. But the way we do that is by keeping our hearts connected to God and his love. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. You notice that all these words, very few of them are action-oriented, and almost all of them are very emotions-oriented. Rejoice, be happy, be thankful, connect with God in a personal, like almost, almost internal way through 
prayer, even if you're praying out loud, keep your heart engaged with the love and story and person with a person of God so that when you open your Bible, it's not about, as we said earlier, just reading words that inform or teach you something, but you start to build the anticipation that these words lead me into a personal interaction with the lover of my soul. Right? That, that now when we go to church, we don't go to church saying like, all right, we go every week. But we go and we sing songs and we, we, we connect with each other and we spend time in prayer and we come to the sermon knowing like, man, I'm singing songs to the glorious, loving, compassionate, heavenly Father that meets me where I am, that knows me, that has seen all of me but has loved me fully. Connect with God in an emotional way that keeps your heart in tune with the story and narrative of his love. That's what Paul's asking us to do. When that's not happening, it doesn't matter how much you read your Bible. That's what I'm saying. When that's not happening, it doesn't matter how much you come to church. You could go to a Bible study every single day, but if you are not actively thinking, God, I want my heart to be your heart. Meet me here in whatever I'm doing. It doesn't matter. And if that is you, the man, a, a leaf of grass will be an amazing, beautiful revelation to you. It's why, right, the Proverbs say, look at the ant. Because when my mind is set on the story of God's love and character, the ant can tell me something about the beauty of God. Now, the other thing is not to stifle the spirit, right? So he goes through these, these ideas of rejoice always, pray constantly, uh, give thanks in everything. And then he goes on to say, do not stifle the spirit. And this language is akin to putting out a fire. Right? In other words, this is what I want you to get from this, and, and, and I wish I could create a couple more connecting phrases here, but I can't, so I want you to just really listen intently to what I'm about to say. The language is communicating the idea that the Spirit of God is working in you. Again, don't put out a fire. You, you can't put out a fire unless there's a fire. You can't pour water on a fire unless there's a fire. You can pour water on the ground, you can pour water on wood, but without a fire, you can't pour water on it. And what Paul wants us to see is in the midst of the challenge when we look out and say, my God, you've asked me to do something in a community of people that is very intimidating and challenging. He's looking at you saying, yeah, man, but you're not the one doing it. You're not the one doing it. The fire is at work in you because of what I've done. The work is happening in you because of what I want to do. Your job is to not stifle it. Your job is to get out of the way of it. Your job is to not fill your heart and mind with things that begin to push out the beautiful and holy things. Because if you can manage to set your eyes on me, I will do the work. If you manage to set your eyes on what's beautiful, I, I, will, I will quicken beauty in you. If you manage to set your eyes on what's merciful, I will quicken mercy in you. If you manage to set your eyes on the one who is patient to connect your heart to the narrative of this story of love and affection, I will do the work for you. Just get out the way. Just don't get in the way of it. Don't stifle it. Don't fill your mind and your heart with things that will slow it down. I'm going to do the work. Don't be discouraged. And the thing is, friend, lastly, we, we, we think about that, and he goes into a really great, great space where he's like, hey, uh, and don't despise prophecy. In other words, God's going to do some work, and it ain't up to you to tell him how he's going to do it. He may do some weird stuff in your life. 
And at that point, man, it ain't your job and it's not my job to look at God and to be like, man, what are you doing, man? This is weird. I would much rather you work in my life like this. Guess what? We don't have that authority to call that shot. Man, but he's trustworthy enough to look and say, hey, whatever you have up for me, I'm down for. Because I know you're good. I know you'll care for me. I know you love me. I know you're with me. And so if it gets a little strange sometimes, I'm not going to despise it. I'm not going to turn the other way. Paul is very clear. You should test it. Make sure that the weird stuff that's going on in your life ain't like, like some, some super weird stuff, right? But, but rather, un- question whether it, it locks into that, that narrative of, of love and redemption through the person and work of Jesus that we talked about a second ago. Use that to test the weird ways God may work in your life. And from there, accept when it's weird and it's clearly from him because that's his work in you. And praise God. Praise God. You're not left alone to do this work. He will work through you. But, but you have to come with a humble heart to let him do his work, knowing that he's a good, compassionate, loving father that cares for you, but cares for the people that you are going to help and love as well. Check this out, friends. I, 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 my hope is that if, as, as, if we can begin to walk forward, right, holding in tension these ideas that, man, God has called me to live a, a, a refreshing and life-giving personal devotion life, right, that I'm to connect with the, the heart of God, with the love of God, uh, with, with the person of God, and that's supposed to encourage my heart. If we can begin to hold that intention with the fact of, and I'm called to use that in order to go into the community and to serve the community of faith, to be attentive, to let the compassion that I'm receiving and the compassion that I've experienced from God be the compassion that works through me to the aid of those that are around me, it'll begin to build a rhythm and symbiotic relationship between that spiritual growth in community and that spiritual growth personally that begins to create a community of flourishing believers. And that's what God's called you to. He ain't called you to just worry about you. I love you. He's worried about you. He called you to worry about everyone as he worries about everyone. And and so it's in that space that we we start laying the groundwork for when we come back and it's like, oh man, now I'm, I'm getting to the other end of the cycle and I'm mad discouraged that we now have invested in the very same people who are gonna come back and invest in us. I want you to hear what I just said. It's in that cycle, once you start to build it out, that when you start coming back to the beginning of the cycle, and it's now you who's discouraged, you who's weak, you who's faltering, you who wants to repay evil for evil, right? That now you, the same people that you invested in through all of that work and submission to God are going to be some of them same people that look at you and say, hey, man, are you okay? Hey, are you all right? because I remember what you did for me when I was in the same position I think you might be in. And what I learned from you, I'm going to offer right back to you now. Because the way you were considerate and caring for me is the way I want to be considerate and caring for you. All operating under this beautiful umbrella of this beautiful, caring, compassionate God. Does that sound enticing to you? I'm not asking a rhetorical question. I rarely do, right? 
Does that sound enticing to you? I got a thumbs up, and I'm going to, I have four fans in your room and two AC fans going up here. So when I say, I'm going to ask one more time, and I, I want to encourage you, say like yes. Say yes. That is appealing to me. Is that appealing to you? Friend, the invitation here is for this type of growth. This type of growth that does couple sacrifice, it does couple love, it does couple dependence on God, but, but this is an invitation that if we choose to accept it today, hear me, it can create beautiful, lasting, eternal things in your life and the life of those around you. That's my prayer for us today. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the truth that you have called us into a beautiful relationship with you that doesn't stop with you. That, that you've not called us into a relationship with one another that stops with each other. Yet we're, we're called into a personal relationship with you and then asked to invite everyone that we meet to participate in the flourishing, beautiful relationship that you started with us. We're invited to, to form relationships with one another. And yet in that, to invite constantly you into that relationship to endow and to provide the beauty of your grace and mercy and love. And in all of it, there will be challenges. We will have moments where we are weak. We will have moments where we're discouraged. We will have moments when we're, we're tempted. Father, yet we look to you knowing that you are the author and perfecter of our faith, God. That we're called to look to you for the things that we need and and through that to provide for others and, and through others for you to provide for us. And so, fathers, we think about growing spiritually with you, growing more affectionate for you. Don't let us abandon either one of these, these camps, but rather let us walk in the tension of holding a commitment to community and personal devotion together so that we can walk out a flourishing relationship with you that blesses the world around us. We love you, we thank you, we place this time and our lives in your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 